Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode. You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is Davian Mitchell an actual top 10 pick in this year's draft class? Stay tuned and we'll let you know. You are Locked On the NBA Draft. My name is Sam Ferris. I am one of your co-hosts. And as always, I am joined by my good friend, my co-host, and of course, the other member of the Draft Dummies. Cody, how's it going for you? It's going great. Excited for today's show. In the first segment, Sam and I are going to give you guys our championship game reactions. Uh, After that, we're going to get into Corey Kispert and Davion Mitchell and maybe what the tournament has or hasn't done for their draft stock. And in the final segment, we're going to talk a little Drew Timmy and how he transitions to the NBA. And then Johnny Jazang and uh, his just lightning hot tournament he had. We're going to discuss him a little bit as well. All right. So let's get into our reaction of the Gonzaga Baylor game that we watched a couple nights ago. And I guess, Cody, to start out, it was kind of interesting because. You know, usually we talk about our keys going into the game. You and I, I guess, for background, are from Gonzaga. We've grown up both watching Gonzaga games, going to Gonzaga games. We were certainly rooting for Gonzaga. But in terms of watching this from an uh, an analyst perspective, I think I texted you. And the first thing that I noticed was I did not like Mark Few's approach to the game, whereas you were more on the side of that the issue was with the players, right? What you saw. So let's get into kind of our takeaways. But starting from there, Cody, what was it that stuck out to you watching Gonzaga really get dominated by Baylor? Yeah, I mean, it was a debacle straight from the tip. And uh, for me, there were a couple of things I saw um, where I just thought the players didn't come out to play. However, you did make a really good point about the pick and roll coverages, which I know uh, you'll get into here with, and that's more of a a coaching staff thing. But uh, as far as the players, I just think they got hit in the mouth. Like they hadn't uh, all year and they all kind of look like deer in the headlights after that. Uh, Suggs, Timmy and Nemhard. I mean, they kind of look like they just had the nerves and forgot how to dribble. They were being really weak with the ball. Uh, the turnovers uh, right away, and then just the toughness on the glass. And, I mean, those were the the big stories of the first half and the offensive rebounds uh, for the whole game for Baylor. But uh, I believe at one point I looked and Baylor had attempted 47 shots and Gonzaga had attempted 29, and that's due to those turnovers and the offensive rebounds. And, uh, yeah, I just thought they came out uh, – real timid and kind of that shocked deer in the headlights. And uh, they just didn't come to play that day, especially after that strong start from Baylor. And uh, after that, it was just too late. Yeah. And you see this happen occasionally kind of in championship games or title matches. It reminded me, Cody, a little bit of the Broncos Seahawks Super Bowl back in 2013, where you know, it's such a big stage. There's so much leading up to it. And sometimes 
teams come out and one team is really tight and the other team is very aggressive. And we remember kind of in that Super Bowl, the ball got snapped over Peyton Manning's head and it was over from there. The Seahawks came out aggressive. And that's and that's what I saw today. And sometimes, you know, we think about basketball and basketball is a game of runs. When you just break down high level basketball, it makes sense. And some of these games can snowball. Uh, You know, for example, if you're consistently making shots on one end, then the other team just cannot get out into transition and you can set your defense. Baylor was making a ton of shots, just shot it ridiculously from three. And then on the other end, when you're getting stops and causing turnovers, then all of a sudden you can get out into transition and that opens the game up from you. You make some shots, you get confidence, you get loose. The other team gets more tight and just things can snowball from there. Um, But from a coaching perspective, Cody, the two keys to the game for me for Gonzaga were, number one, they had to avoid live ball turnovers, and they did not do that. Number two, they they had to prevent Davion Mitchell specifically and also Jared Butler from getting into the paint. And that kind of calls into question the pick and roll coverages and ball screen defense that Gonzaga was using, where time and again, they were leaving Timmy. Kispert and Watson on an island and there were a couple ramifications there number one Cody is you know usually you'll run like a switching defense to get the opposing team out of their offense force them to get into isolation situations well guess what Baylor was totally fine isolating their guards onto Gonzaga's bigs all night yeah they were and uh, they kept going back to it it was very NBA-esque by Scott Drew there where they kept running those pick and rolls and what frustrated me a little and you had a point where this is maybe on the coaching staff a little bit is maybe to try and hedge hard and have the guard get over the screen uh, just hedge and recover use the backside defender to help protect that role uh, before they can recover but Gonzaga just kind of let them run those screens and they just took the switch every time and it clearly wasn't working um then again, that's what they've done all year. So maybe you don't want to overreact. Uh, just hope that their hot shooting stops. But yeah, to me, there was a lot of those screens where the big was just the big defender was just caught in no man's land. Uh, and so they ultimately just switched and they gave up a lot of easy looks either from the isolation or um, the isolation directly or the the guard beating the man and someone else stepping up and them dishing for an open look. So it was pretty tough to watch. Yeah. And I personally thought that Mark few should have used Suggs as kind of a shutdown corner and have him travel with whichever guard you're most worried about. I probably would have stuck him on Mitchell and he started doing that at times. I think he can get over screens well enough, but the other ramification was then that Gonzaga's bigs were pulled away from the rim guarding on the perimeter. And then Gonzaga just got completely blitzed on the boards. You talked about the just shot attempt uh, difference in the game, which if you're giving up that many shots and taking that few, then you're just not going to win games. So, I mean, multiple ramifications in terms of how they were guarding the pick and roll, but then, On the opposite side of the ball, I loved what Baylor did, Cody. We talked about this, but Baylor has the personnel in their guards to press hard. And Gonzaga runs tons and tons of pick and roll. But often they just run pick and roll to get Timmy on a switch and get him the ball. 
But because Baylor was pressing so hard, uh, there was no easy entry pass into the post to Timmy. And at the same time, uh, Baylor's furthest defender from the ball, you know, the guy guarding the weak side in the corner was helping way off and was basically sitting right on Timmy's lap on the other side. But again, because the ball pressure, uh, Gonzaga couldn't make a swing pass to the other side for the open three. And so that really shut down and limited Gonzaga's offense. And I thought that was really interesting. I just thought that Butler and, and Drew outcoached Mark Few from my point of view. Yeah, Baylor and Drew, it absolutely. And uh, you make a good point there because the first step in preventing uh, an entry pass into the post or the roll man is ball pressure. And you're right. They were in their grill constantly. All the Baylor defenders had their arms up. They were in the passing lanes. They were getting deflections over and over and over. Seemed like every possession. And uh, it was just a little too much, a little too swarming for Gonzaga and definitely threw them off their rhythm. So to finish this segment, I think one of the main takeaways, Cody, is this is just why it's become harder and harder to play through a big, especially in the NBA, but also in college now to a certain extent. Of course, Baylor plays and has the personnel more so of an NBA team. We do see that bigs like Timmy uh, and Garza, for example, can still be good. But when playing against defenses like this and to a way further extent in the NBA, it's just way, way too difficult to play consistently through a big unless they're just a generational offensive player like a Jokic, like an Embiid. Yeah, it's certainly not an all or nothing rule, but this is why we see guards kind of become the stars of the NCAA tournament. And uh, this is why we see a lot of NBA teams uh, that win the championship have a perimeter-oriented superstar. It can be tough to get the ball inside quickly, efficiently. And uh, Baylor, I mean, they just absolutely demonstrated that with Gonzaga. Timmy was their engine all year, and uh, they just disrupted Gonzaga just getting their best player the ball, and uh, it just threw them off. Coming up next, we're going to do a little stock valuation. We're going to check in on how March Madness affected the stock of both Davion Mitchell and of Corey Kispert. Are you happy because you win, or do you win because you're happy? Locked On has partnered with Michelob Ultra to bring you the Ultra Player of the Week. And this week's winner must have had a lot of joy because Michelob believes that joy creates success. And that is Devin Booker, who's had a scorching week of games 45, 32, and 36 points. He's been shooting over 50% from the field, over 50% from three, and over 90% from the line over the past three games. Michelob has some of their own stats as well, with 2.6 carbs and 95 calories per bottle. Your Michelob Ultra Player of the Week, Devin Booker. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So, Cody, do you want to start with Corey Kispert or do you want to start with Davion Mitchell? Uh, We can go ahead and start with Kispert. Uh, You had tweeted from the Draft Dummies uh, Twitter account a take on Kispert. 
Uh, some of it wasn't well received. Uh, some of it, some people didn't disagree. Uh, I can let you know my opinion, but why don't you explain uh, your thoughts on Kispert? Yeah, so for this segment, we want to do kind of a stock valuation, uh, kind of visit what the consensus is now, how that was affected by the NCAA tournament. And so coming into the tournament, some people had Corey Kispert as high as the top 10. Uh, I think after his performance in the last few games, he's probably dropped a few places from there. So I guess, Cody, do you think it's fair, number one, that he was as high as he was as a potential top 10 pick? And is it fair that his performance over the last week or so in the final two or three games, do you think it's fair that he did drop a few spots from the top 10, maybe into the middle of the first round? Yeah, I mean, I guess I think it's fair because everyone's entitled to their own opinions all the time. Um, Do I agree with uh, his uh, being in the top 10 there for a bit or in the lottery? Uh, No, I don't. Uh, I don't know if I, you know, on the back end of that question, is it fair that he dropped some after this tournament? I mean, again, it's, it's draft evaluation. Everyone's got different opinions. Um, I typically don't drop or, um, have guys rise just based off their March Madness performance. It's a, a much bigger evaluation than just that for me. Uh, so, but you know, if other people want to drop him after seeing, you know, players on the biggest stage and uh, a lot of, a lot of guys don't, you know, watch every single game of these, these players. So if that's very, um, leaves just a big impression on them, then I suppose that's fair, but I certainly am not dropping him from where I have him, uh, just because of this tournament. Yeah, I agree. I don't put too much stock into a small sample. We've seen, that mistake with players in the past for sure. So let's just get into Corey Kispert then, because like you mentioned, I tweeted that he's had a great college career, but he should not have really ever been considered a top 20 prospect. And so I'm just going to kind of talk briefly about, you know, what a role player means in the NBA, because when we talk about team building, we, you know, think about team building from the perspective of a good team, a playoff team, right? Like we don't sit around thinking about, oh, how can I build the perfect 38 win team, the best? How can I build the perfect 10 seed in the East? No, we're trying to think about the best way to build a playoff team. And so when you look at role players on decent to really good teams, the role players are tasked with filling in around the star players right? And filling the holes around the stars. And so actually, when I look at role players, instead of first asking, what do the role players bring to the table? I first ask, what does the role player take off the table? In other words, when I have him out on the floor in a playoff setting, for example, what is he going to take off the floor for my team? And to me, it's pretty obvious having watched him his whole career especially against the more athletic teams, especially in the big stages. I just don't think that he's really going to be able to hold up defensively. We've talked about how he has good size, Cody, at 6'7", and he's actually a decent athlete vertically. He had a nice poster in the semifinal game against UCLA, but he was really exposed against Baylor, and those are the types of guards that he's going to be facing day in, day out, really, in the NBA. 
and he didn't hold up too well. So before I look at what he does bring to the table, that's just a big issue for me that I just I don't buy him holding up defensively in the NBA nor in pressure moments. Yeah, and just to clarify, uh, Sam and I both love Corey Kispert. He's an amazing teammate, amazing leader, amazing young man. We're just talking about his NBA future here. It's nothing personal. I would love him for my college team. Uh, but I'm kind of where Sam's at, just watching him uh, the past four years. I just don't know if he has what it takes to be a really good role player on a playoff team, like you're saying. Uh, I've noticed over the years, he does not shoot nearly as consistently in big games. And you can say that for a lot of guys, the pressure's on. But it's been a pretty consistent theme with him. Uh, when it's December against a WCC opponent, uh, his confidence is high and he shoots really well. But uh, in the bigger stages, not always the best percentages. And uh, I don't know. There's a case that NBA regular season, there's so many games. He's going to get comfortable eventually and he's going to be a good, you know, uh, lights out, spot up three-point shooter. But uh, like Sam was saying, defensively, it, I think it's going to be a struggle. I don't know. He is. He does have some straight line athleticism, and he has some burst uh, when he has a head of steam. But he's not the quickest laterally. I don't think he's nearly the player that Joe Harris is uh, on both ends of the floor. And yeah, offensively, other than spacing the floor, he doesn't create for himself, doesn't create for others. Uh, pretty limited. And so I'm... I've never had him in the lottery. Uh, do I think he's a player that deserves to be drafted? Absolutely. Do I think he can uh, have a stint in the NBA and uh, be a reliable spot-up shooter? Yeah, I think he can get there. But, yeah, I just don't think it's ever going to be for a good playoff team. I just don't think he, he has enough there. Yeah, and when I tweeted that out, I'm sure people were thinking, come on, like, that's a hot take based off of one or two games. You got to look at the body of work. But for me, actually, the hot take, the real hot take was anybody ever having him in the top 20, to be fair. Uh, I just think, like you said, we've watched his whole career. You know, this happens with guys where they play four years in college. They play for a really good team. He's taken incremental steps from being a solid player to becoming an All-American. But guess what? A lot of the freshmen, a lot of the young guys, four years from now, they'll look as good or better than Corey Kispert. Again, I don't want to take too much away from him because I'm a Gonzaga fan, so are you, and he was a great player in college, had a fantastic career, well-deserved All-American. But in terms of drafting him and investing capital, I just don't really see where he becomes more than kind of a spot player. So, yes, I would take him in the second round, absolutely, based on the size and the shooting. Would I take him in the lottery? Uh, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I've never had him up in the lottery, and so I do not feel as I'm, you know, overreacting to this tournament run because this is uh, these have been my thoughts all along as well. So, Pretty quickly here before our next segment, let's dive in to Mitchell, who, you know, if you're just going off his tournament performance, uh, it looks like he is 
like rising a lot. Uh, do you buy him being a top 10 pick, Sam? Because he was not there, you know, earlier in this year, and he's probably been the biggest riser as of late. I do not buy him as a top 10 pick. I also don't buy him as a lottery pick. If you're going to take him towards the end of the first round, that's great, but he's going to end up going higher than that, I think, and that's just too high for me. So with him, he's pretty old. I think he's 22 now. Uh, He started his career at Auburn, then transferred, and this is now his second year at Baylor. So this is essentially his fourth year in college, his fourth year after high school. He's had a lot of time to develop, both physically and skill-wise. So just in terms of the experience and the time he's had to develop, he's just way ahead of most of the guys at this level. And that's a real advantage. So kind of the same issue with Kispert where you look at him and he took three, four years to really blow up in college basketball. And one of my sayings that I use is when evaluating prospects, beware of the guy that blows up in year three. If he didn't blow up in year one or year two, that's not a great indicator and again, it's essentially his fourth year because he sat out a year. It took him three years, basically four again, to cross the 20% usage mark in college, another bad indicator. So I just don't think that his ceiling is as high as some people think, that this is all going to translate automatically. He's just older than a lot of these guys. Again, love him as a college player. I would take him at the end of the first round, but no way am I getting anywhere near taking him top 10. Yeah, and this is where you and me differ a little, uh, not because of our opinions of Mitchell. I'm not saying whether I'm high on him or low on him yet, uh, but just that I don't really take uh, as much consideration into account when uh, talking about a player's age or, you know, like you said, when they kind of have broken out or not. Uh, Mitchell, you're right did not do a lot before this year. And he shot, you know, a blistering 45% from three this year. But people need to know that he has not been that shooter in the past at all. Uh, This was definitely the outlier. Going forward, does it mean he's going to regress some? Probably from 45%, yes. But is he going to be as bad, you know, as the 28, 32% shooter from his other seasons? Uh, maybe not that low, but he's certainly not, you know, in the clear for just being an absolute knockdown shooter just after one season. Uh, however, I do think I am a little bit higher on him than you. Uh, I don't really care about the age as much. Uh, I mean, you look at a lot of guards in the NBA that played multiple years in college, Steph, Dame, James Harden, CJ McCollum. Uh, there's a number of them, Clay Thompson. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know how high Mitchell's ceiling is. The one thing that I absolutely love about him and that fascinates me and it's the obvious one is just his perimeter defense. I feel like it is not only great, but like, I mean, generational, the way he slides on the perimeter and can just hound guys without fouling. It's pretty remarkable. And that skill alone, I think, is going to give him a long career in the NBA. If it's a Patrick Beverly type role, uh, maybe it's a little bit bigger of a role offensively with some of the stuff he's flashed. But uh, if the jump shot continues to be uh, good, not 45% good, but it continues to be 
good and he can defend. Uh, I really like him in the middle of the first round. Yeah, one final stat on him. I do like the defense, but just to put into perspective my concern about his age. So you mentioned guys like Steph, Dame, James Harden. Those guys did take a little bit more time to develop, but those guys did have massive usage seasons even earlier in their career. But if you look back over the last, you know, since 2000 in college basketball, the only guys that have been drafted in the first round that did not have a 20% usage season in college in their first three years in college are Desmond Bain and Matisse Thibel. You know, guys that are not creators at all. They're just either defense or shooters. And so there just hasn't really been much precedence for guys taking that long to develop offensively and that actually translate into the NBA. So I guess it'll be an interesting kind of data point for us, but I'm just hesitant there, especially offensively. However, I do agree with you on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we do differ a little bit because I don't like some of those stats. I don't really take into consideration if like no one with his kind of of career trajectory has panned out and that might be a major oversight and negative aspect of my um, evaluation of guys but I try and just go with the the specific individual and um, yeah that that's something I'm sure I could probably get better at is taking taking in some of those stats and uh, some of those perspectives on you know what similar guys in his situation how they've turned out and like you said there's not a lot of precedence for uh, Mitchell's route. Coming up next, we are going to check in on the stock of Johnny Juzang and of Drew Timmy, two guys that had very good NCAA tournaments. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. I'm not personally a big protein bar guy just because I don't like the taste too much, but Built Bar is different. They just They just do taste better. I like that they're all covered in chocolate. Personally, they've got a lot of good flavors, including six new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, and cherry barcia. Just a lot to like in terms of how they taste, but they are also healthy and great for health-conscious guys like us. And so I would highly recommend Built Bars. Plus, because you're listening to us, you get a promo code. So go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football is over and now college basketball is too, but the NBA and NHL are in full swing. Bet online also covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. With real up, Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the new scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device. Use promo code LOCKEDON and sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Yes, that is us. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness, four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on 
the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Sam, let's get in to Timmy and Juzang. Where would you like to start? Uh, let's start with Johnny Juzang, since I don't think we've really talked too much about him before. And I'm interested to hear your perspective on him as a prospect, because you talked about, and I agree, where I don't want to place too much value into the small sample size of March Madness. We've seen the negative results of that in the past. However, I think the really fantastic performance by Juzang in the tournament actually shined a light on how Johnny Juzang had an underrated season at UCLA. So in terms of the background on him, he was a top 30 recruit coming into, into college, went to Kentucky, didn't get enough playing time, though he obviously should have. And with COVID, Wait, with everything going on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm he, just kidding, because they said it about 30 times <laughs> during the tournament. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that and Jalen Suggs playing quarterback in high school were like the two, uh, you yeah. know, they just, it's like every, every uh, segment they're talking about that one. But. Yeah, so he he didn't really just come out of nowhere. He was a top 30 recruit, played at Kentucky, ended up transferring to UCLA. And Cody, we've got a couple pretty impressive, I've got a couple pretty impressive stats on him this year. But what stands out to you first watching Johnny Juzang and uh, just how impressive he was in the tournament? Well, yeah, as far as the tournament goes, outside of maybe Mitchell, he probably saw his stock rise the most and I mean for good reason if you were watching the games he was an absolute shot making machine it was all three levels Um, what really stands out is his shooting mid-range pull-up game getting to his spots uh, three-point shot it was automatic all tournament long Uh, that Gonzaga game was you know his crescendo there it was really incredible and yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. At uh, 6'6", 210, he's got good size, good length, and the skill is just undeniable. And uh, uh, he's on boards for him. And, you know, I'm still not quite sure where I have him. And do I think he's going to be uh, this hot uh, all the time? Of course not. But he, he really made an interesting case for himself this March. Yeah, to put some numbers to that, he shot a completely ridiculous 15 of 22 on long twos in the Elite Eight and Final Four matchups against Michigan and Gonzaga. Again, 15 of 22. That is just completely insane. So, yes, that's unsustainable. But like Cody said, he was actually a very, very good mid-range shooter all year. He took over six a game and shot them at a 50% clip, which is very, very good, especially in college. So, yes, unsustainable, but it's not like it was a complete fluke at all. That's something that's a legitimate skill with him. He also ranked it in the 90th percentile in college in pull-up jumpers. Um, so I, I really like that part of his game. That's exciting, especially at that size at 6'6". Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the three-point shot this year, he shot about 35%. I would think just the the crazy good shooter he is that's going to be better at the nba level it's going to be you know the full-time job obviously we see a lot of guys really put in the work and improve their shooting there's a lot of space 
for them. Uh, 87% free throw shooter on the year. Uh, I have no worries about his jump shot translating at the next level. Yeah, and he missed the first few games of the year and took a couple weeks to get going. But after he got into a rhythm, he was very, very good all year long. And then, of course, that all culminated in the tournament where he, I wouldn't say carried him by himself, but he was the reason that they made it as far as they did. Um, To get a little more into his game, a couple, I guess, areas of concern with him is he didn't get to the line much, doesn't finish that great at the rim at about 55%, and no dunks on the season either, which is a bit concerning considering he is 6'6 and seems like a decent athlete. But the positives are he was really good in pick and roll and really good in isolation. So not a fantastic athlete, but he knows how to get to his spots. Got that pull up, very good shooter with great touch. So that pick and roll ability and that isolation ability do hint at, you know, a little bit more upside in creation, but doesn't really get to the line, doesn't really finish that much. And his athleticism isn't, he doesn't show it off too much uh, in actual game situations. Yeah, he's not an overwhelming athlete, but he's, you know, certainly one of those guys that is athletic enough. And I think the NBA is kind of tailor-made for guys like him now. If you have this size, you can run out of the pick and roll, and you just have shot-making ability. Uh, The NBA is really geared towards letting those offensive players uh, show that off. So I certainly think he's got a career in the NBA. Um, You know, eight years in, I could see like a trajectory where it's a TJ Warren type uh, that's just kind of a natural scorer. And uh, he he might uh, end up being a steal for someone. Yeah, I'd look at taking him towards the end of the first round. And if he does slip into the second round, which I find a little hard to believe, considering how good he was in the tournament on the biggest stage, I would certainly take him there. Again, size and shooting seems like he's on a good development trajectory. That is worth gambling on in today's NBA Um, Let's finish now by getting into Drew Timmy, one of our favorite players in college basketball, Cody. But we saw his limitations and we saw just how difficult it would be for a guy like him to actually transition and be a successful NBA player. Yeah, and this is what's so bizarre just about the differences in the games. Uh, It hasn't always been uh, such a big discrepancy in just the, the styles of play between college and NBA, but you know, arguably two of the top college basketball players in Luca Garza and Drew Timmy. I just don't see an NBA future hardly for them. I don't see them starting in the NBA uh, necessarily at all. I love Drew Timmy. The footwork is incredible. Uh, the feel, the touch, both hands. Uh, he's a gamer. But he can't guard in space. The three-point shot isn't there at all. He's not giving you any rim protection. And teams just don't want to throw the ball uh, into the block in the NBA. It's just not efficient offense anymore, uh, even with his skill level. And so is he going to you know, make a roster? Absolutely. Uh, could I see him ending up having kind of an Enos Cantor-type bench role where he comes in and gives you 10 or 12 points and – 20 minutes. Yeah, I could see that, but uh, I just don't see him becoming anything more than that. And that's not really worthy, you know, of a top 25, top 30 pick for me. Yeah. And again, I love Drew Timmy, one of my favorite college players, but I do think that what you stated 
kind of an Ennis Cantor level contribution and level career, that's that's a pretty high end outcome for him, really. Because like you said, I mean, you look at bigs in the NBA, you have to be able to either protect the rim, garden space or space the floor. Ideally, you have to do two of those three. And he does zero at this point in time. Uh, Yeah, we saw his weaknesses in the final against Baylor, just had no chance guarding those guards in space. Again, maybe a guy that can play a little in the regular season, but no chance in the playoffs. He's just going to get picked on repeatedly. He is a fantastic and unique offensive player, especially on the block. Again, it's just hard to really take advantage of those guys and for that to be an efficient play in the NBA. So I I don't know, Cody, do you think he would be one of the worst defensive centers right now in the NBA? I don't think that's unrealistic. Yeah, no, just the fact that there isn't the rim protection or, you know, the perimeter defense. Uh, yeah, I hope that he tests or well, he's going to test the waters, but I hope he ends up returning uh, and playing at Gonzaga next year. Uh, he's such a great college basketball player. It's incredible. And I just don't think he's uh, entirely ready for the NBA yet. Hopefully he gets some feedback about at least being able to stretch the floor and knock down threes consistently and uh, comes back to college. Well, that's all we have time for today. It's been an awesome college basketball season. Loved watching the tournament. But now it's exciting for us as we prepare for the draft and continue to ramp up our coverage, continue to watch film and break it down for you guys. And yeah, just very excited to continue to analyze and uh, be there to chat about the draft with you guys as we lead up to it. Yeah, thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Draft Dummies. Uh, Leave us a review if you listen on Apple iTunes. And also be sure to listen to the other hosts on the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. They're putting out great work. Sam and I uh, are so privileged to work with them. Uh, If you don't listen to them already, definitely check out their stuff.